Welcome to the Coffee with Chris podcast. Just dark enough to be thought-provoking and just light enough to be enlightening. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Thurber, psychologist and professional educator, or so they tell me. Okay, I've got mine. I hope you've got yours. Let's get started. I'm delighted to have Dr. Edward Walton that I refer to as Skip. Lots of his friends call him Skip. He's our guest today on Coffee with Chris. Dr. Walton earned his BA in biology from Middlebury College and his MD from Dartmouth Medical School. He then went on to complete emergency medicine and pediatrics residencies at the University of California, San Diego. Skip is professor in the Departments of Emergency Medicine and Pediatrics at the Central Michigan University College of Medicine. And in his current role, he's physician educator for Veterans Health Administration National Center for Patient Safety. Skip practices clinical emergency medicine at the VA Ann Arbor Health System. And he's also been involved in youth camps and camp health research for 20 years. His scholarly articles, one of which I co-authored with him, very proud to say, concerning camp health issues have appeared in major medical journals. Uh, Skip is a member of a Navy family. He joined the Navy Reserves through direct extension and has been deployed twice. Is that right? Two times, Skip? Well, and uh, now with COVID-19, it's three times. Three times. So Skip received has received a variety of honors and recognition for excellence in education, service, and patient care. The Michigan College of Emergency Physicians named him Emergency Physician of the Year in 2007. And I will say that Dr. Walton's most important qualification, besides being my friend, is that he was the waterfront director at YMCA Camp Belknap in central New Hampshire prior to my ascension to that position. So, Skip, thank you for what I would say has been a lifetime of mentorship for me. So thank you for that. And thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks, Chris. It's a real privilege to be here. And I'm really hoping that I'll be able to answer some of your uh, family's questions about what's been going on recently in the world. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Um, You're in pretty serious quarantine right now. I mean, all of us consider ourselves to be in quarantine, but you're in quarantine with a capital Q. How come? So I have had the privilege to be a Navy reservist for going on 10 years now. And when all of the COVID-19 Concerns started in in March. Um, The president actually activated a a significant number of reservists. And so I've been in the medical corps of of the Navy reserves. And so it was activated to go and serve on the medical staff at the Javits New York Medical Station right down right downtown in New York City. And so um, was there taking care of COVID-19 patients for a month. And now as a result of that care, as we come out from from a hot zone, we need to quarantine for. It's going on three weeks now. Wow! So you you're literally by yourself in a hotel room as a consequence of having volunteered your time um, or served in the Navy reservists at the Javits Center, taking care of people who are positive for coronavirus. Yeah, that's right, Chris. And wow. you know the way I think of it is you know and we'll talk a little bit more about this is in a way it was somewhat easier to, to take care of coronaviruses in the Javits center, because we knew that everybody in the Javits center had COVID-19 disease. And so 
we, we took all the appropriate precautions um, to make ourselves safe. And actually the data coming out from, from our cohort of providers is that we've had a very small number of people who have turned positive as a result of their service because we were so careful. You know, the rest of the world doesn't have that guidance that everybody that you're gonna be taken care of is gonna be COVID-19 disease positive. And so, and that's one of the biggest issues that we're having across the whole country is who has the disease and who doesn't have the disease and how can I protect myself and protect my family? And then for the camp community, how can I, how can I protect my camp? Yeah. Well, so before we get to talking about some of the recommendations that you would have for kids and parents and others who are going out into the world to pick up some takeout or do some shopping, um, can you just tell us, because I think a lot of people are wondering, what's the difference between a bacterial infection and a viral infection, or what's the difference between a, a, a bacteria and a virus? And um, maybe if we understand that, we understand a little bit about how to better protect ourselves. Well, in kind of the overarching term that you'll hear out in the, in the world is a germ, okay? Um, and a germ is just something that makes you sick, that, that comes from outside of your body to inside of your body, and that makes you sick. Okay. And then, you know, the two main categories that, that most folks have to think about when it comes to an infection are bacteria and viruses. And the, the differentiation between a bacteria and a virus is basically on the complexity of the biological systems that allow them to invade you and make you sick. Okay, so, so bacteria and viruses are, are both considered germs, right. and, and they, one is more complex than the other. Which one? Bacteria are more complex than viruses. Viruses, okay. the, the thing about a virus is it's not considered to be alive. Uh, I mean, it's not alive or dead. It just exists. And what the reason is it exists is to make sure that it passes, passes on its genetic material to more viruses. So it basically hijacks your the cells of your body to make more viruses. And uh, that COVID is very efficient at doing that. And, and it attacks it attacks cells throughout your entire body. Um, primarily gets into your into your body through the respiratory system, but it, it attacks cells throughout the entire body with with its underlying goal of making more viruses and spreading itself to other people. So a virus is like like a crazy copy machine, right? And 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 your body has the paper. And the copy machine comes in, it just keeps making copies and copies and copies and copies. And, and that's what makes people sick is that that it's reproducing itself inside your body with the goal of then, you know, making millions and millions of copies of itself to pass along to other people. Right. And then it, and the way it does that is it gets into, you know, the 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 fluids and the secretions. And, you know, when you cough and you sneeze and and that gets out into the world or you touch something, you touch your, your, you touch your mouth, you touch your face, you know, after you've touched somebody where the virus is on that surface, that's how it gets into your body. And so that's why we're, we have the, the recommendations that we have about social distancing and wearing masks and staying at home, 
all, all to break that cycle of the virus getting into your body and reproducing and then being spread to somebody else. Okay, so when I when I cough or sneeze, there's lots and lots of droplets that come out of my nose and my mouth. And some of those are big and they sort of float down to the ground. But some of those are tiny and they can float around in the air for a long time. So that's why we want a couple of meters, six feet or so between people so that there is less of a chance that we're going to breathe in maybe some of the droplets that are coming out of their mouth just when they're talking. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so that's and so if you're that it's that six foot different distance that allows those droplets to fall to the ground or to be dispersed widely enough that that they're they don't get into you. Yeah. After, after they've gotten into the air. So why is why is the recommendation to wear a, a mask that's made of, you know, some kind of filtering cloth or some kind of special filtering paper? What what, what does a mask do? So what a mask does is it traps those droplets. Okay. Uh, and prevents them from getting into the air um, and, and then having you breathe them in or you breathing them out and get, having them get into somebody else. And so when there's different levels of masks you'll hear in the news. I'll always talk about the N95s for right. the, for the healthcare providers. And an N95 is, is so tight fitting that they do, they do fit testing so that they spray this substance into the air that if your mask doesn't fit, you can smell it and you can taste it. I and see. So those masks fit very tightly. And so, it prevents droplets from coming out of you, but it also prevents droplets from coming out of in, out of the air into you. The regular mask, the cloth cloth mask that you that you can make or you can buy, or just wearing a bandana, what that does is it really that prevents the droplets coming out of you and being spread out into the air. You know the masks, you know that most people wear. You when you breathe in, the air can come in from the side or the bottom or the top. Right. So really the mask that you're wearing is really to, to protect other people. Okay. But doctors and nurses and other healthcare providers need to wear the masks that also prevent them from breathing in other people's droplets. Cause they have, they have to be pretty close to people when you're like, you're a doctor, you're caring for someone, you're wearing gloves, but you have to touch them and you have to be closer to them than six feet because you're providing medical care. So you have to have those really special masks. Yeah. So a stethoscope is only about two feet long. So you, if you want to listen to your patient, you have to definitely get within six feet. Well, it's really good to know that at the Javits Center and the work that you did with the other reservists, there's a very, very low rate of the doctors and nurses and other providers getting infected because they were protecting themselves. So I think a really reassuring message for families is if you have this specialized personal protective equipment, you can protect yourself from the virus. And I know a lot of kids whose moms and dads are nurses and doctors and are providers, maybe they're administrators in a hospital, but they're worried because their parents or their primary caregivers are caring for people who are positive for coronavirus uh, it sounds to me like if they're wearing the right equipment and observing the recommended precautions, that there's a really good chance they will stay healthy. 
Yeah, I, I think that's what, you know, that's the data that's starting to come out of our experience at the Javits Center. I mean, it really, but, you know, families have to make their own decisions about, you know, what that looks like when they're, when their family member is a, is a healthcare provider, um, as, as far as what their home exposure looks like. Um, and yeah. different people make different decisions about that. I, I think as the incident, incidence goes down, family, we're still going to have to assume when you go to the hospital, it's, it, it's possible that any patient you see has, has coronavirus. And okay. so, I mean, our practice has changed immensely just in the last two months yeah. because of this disease. And, you know, one of the points that we didn't make when we were talking about, you know, bacteria and viruses is the fact that you'll hear this word is novel is novel means is a, it's a, it's a fancy word for new. Okay. So coronavirus is new. It's a new virus. It has never existed in the world until four or five or six months ago. And because of that, no one in the world has immunity to this virus. Okay. No one, no one does. And so that's why it's um, how, trying to figure out which medicines work for it. Um, it is still an ongoing process you know, creating an immunization for it is still an ongoing process because of that word novel, because it's new. Okay. No, one, no one has any exposure to it, which means, you know, every person who gets it is going to have their own individualized response to it. And that's why there's a significant number of people who get the disease and don't even know it. There's unfortunately a, sick, a significant number of people who get that, get the disease and it's devastating for them. So it's just because none of us have ever had this. Wow. I mean, it's to me, that's kind of scary that there can be a, a, a new virus that just pops up. And as you said, if it's new, if it's novel, then nobody has immunity. Some people's bodies can create antibodies and they don't get sick or they get just a little bit sick and then recover. Other people have a much stronger reaction. Um, they're both infected by the same virus, but their bodies respond in different ways. And it sounds like what you're saying is that that's one of the reasons why we need to be so cautious. And that's so just to understand why we have a two week um, quarantine period for most people or, you know, a that we wanted people to stay home for a significant amount of time is that if you've had that virus and you don't really get that sick, after two weeks, you're not gonna be able, if you stayed at home and, and you had the illness and you got better, or you had the illness and you didn't even know it, when you go back out into the world, you're not gonna be spreading that virus to other people and to people who, you know, with immunocompromised or, or other pre-existing conditions, the things that we talk about, high blood pressure, you know, heart disease, lung disease, things like that you're not going to be able to spread it to those people because you waited because you stayed inside. Okay. You're not going to spread it to somebody else. So you and I both work with camps. I mean, you started camp Belknap before I did and were a division head and senior staff member, waterfront director. Um, I want to talk in a minute about some of the decisions that camps are making now, but you, you mentioned, people whose immune systems are maybe not as strong. And I know that one of the first camps that contacted me was a camp in Georgia, Camp Sunshine, that serves children who have been affected by cancer in some way. They have 
battled it and recovered or they're currently in treatment for some kind of cancer. And the staff at this camp knew that the smart thing to do, given the medical situation of their campers, was not to take the risk. So very early on, five or six weeks ago, they made the decision to move their camp activities online, not as fun as in-person, on-site, face-to-face camp. We all know that. But they made that decision very early. And other camps, most other camps in the world, certainly in the United States and Canada, were, were waiting. But in the last week, many camps, I think you and I were talking, maybe two-thirds of camps have made the decision to cancel their on-site programming And maybe they'll do some things online. Maybe they'll wait until next summer. But um, can you tell us a little bit about, first, the camp that you've been involved in, that you created, and then that way people will understand your camp credentials. And then tell us what you think about the decision that so many camps have made to cancel their on-site programs, at least for the first batch of sessions this summer, maybe for the whole summer, um, and and wait until the summer of 2021. So let's talk a little bit about camp and cancellation. Well, I've had the privilege to help found North Star Reach, which, which is a camp for kids with serious health challenges in Michigan. And you know, camp also, North Star Reach made the decision to canceled their summer season many, many weeks ago. And okay. you know, I totally feel that that was the, the correct decision given their population and the fact that many of their kids, you know, have pre-existing conditions, which is kind of, that's, that's why those camps exist is yeah. to, is to offer, you know, offer an environment that's, that's supportive uh, of their challenges and to bring those kids together in a camp environment is, is just, it's it's difficult to do that safely, I, you know, if not impossible, in, until you know we get until the virus is under control. And at this point, uh, moving into this summer, the, the virus is still not yet under control. I think it's the trends are positive, but it, it's still out there, and it, it only takes one person to infect many. Uh, we know we know that just from the epidemiology of the of the virus, and so you know. The, the the camps for kids with serious health challenges canceled early. You know, I totally uh, agree w- with that choice. Yeah. Now, you know, camps. We, you know, the other thing about um, regular, you know, kids camps for for the general population is what I what I've kind of found through my research and experiences is those camps have a significant number of kids with pre-existing conditions. Asthma, oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and, and things like that as well. So, um, and so those camps, you know, the kids intend, it's not a whole population of those kids, but those, there are still those kids in a general population camp. And so that's, that's something also to, to recognize, but the real challenge for a residential camp is the, is the fact that, Social distancing, dis, distancing is the is an anathema. It's, it's just you can't do it in a residential camp community. I mean, it's all you know. A residential camp community is all about being together. It's all about campfires, and team sports, and being together on the waterfront, and being in dining halls together. It's just 
the social distancing is just really, really difficult. And I think the camps that are thinking about having any sessions at all from a residential standpoint are, are looking at, and the recommendations coming out from the CDC and from the states is, if, you, if you're going to try to do this, you're going to have to do it with a much reduced size of your population and really with social distancing. I mean, yeah. you know, now you know it, the, the distance between the bunks at Belknap was three feet. Yeah, feet. something like that. Yeah. And, so, and there was and upper bunks, lower bunks. And so, you know, social distancing at, at Belknap just wouldn't work. And so, you know, I know Belknap made the difficult decision just a couple of days ago. Yeah. You cancel their summer session and that just seems like the right decision and, yeah. and kind of getting back to why we're doing social distancing and, and, you know, why we're wearing masks and, and, uh, um, you know, why we're staying home is it's, again, it's, it's about us. And, and so it, it is, it's, it's heartbreaking for the kids who need to go back who, or who wanted to go back, but, you know, we need to also, as a community, have the understanding that we're, we're not doing this only for the kids, that we're doing it for their parents and their grandparents and when they get home. And for the staff members who may have, you know, have underlying conditions. Yeah. And because not, not everybody at camp is under 30. Yes. And so we have to, we have to think about the whole camp community and what, and what right looks like for the entire camp community. And so that's why I understand and I support the the decisions that many camps are making not to have their summer sessions, especially the residential camps. I think day camps will have the opportunity to be a little bit more spread out. We know that the virus, when it's when you're outside and the air is moving, you know, that that person to person spread in the air is really, really much reduced if not almost totally eliminated, um, especially if you're having social distancing. So it sounds like day, some day camps are thinking about having sessions, having limited sessions. I mean, that sounds from a medical standpoint, like that might be a safe and doable thing. Yeah. Oh, it's really helpful to, to hear that explanation. Um, and, you know, in the last few minutes that we have, I think uh, I'd love to, take the medical and health context of what you said, that we're not only protecting ourselves, we're also protecting the other, you know, the people around us. If we're a camper, our fellow campers and staff, uh, the people that we'd be with when we return from camp. And also thinking about, as you said, the logistics of staying physically apart from each other and then potentially after being at camp having to quarantine for a couple of weeks before you had contact with other people it's um as you said it's anathema it's the opposite of what we think about with regard to when we think about camp um i i want to tell people who are listening a story that involved you and your daughter who's also a doctor um, Meredith and your son, Charlie, were both campers, Charlie at Belknap, um, and Meredith was at Huckins, right? That's right. Yeah. Our sister camp. Um, but this is a story from just a couple of years ago, August of, uh, 2017. Um, I'm just going to read the, 
summary from one of the Michigan newspapers. Dr. Edward Skip Walton, AHA instructor at the CSC, saved man's life with CPR. Dr. Skip Walton and his daughter, Dr. Meredith Walton, a recent UM Medical School graduate, helped resuscitate David Beeler III, who was 26 years old, after he went into cardiac arrest at the LPGA uh, Volvic Championship Golf Tournament uh, in Ann Arbor. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about that? I think that for someone like me who keeps recertifying in CPR but has never actually performed it, uh, it's remarkable to and I think wonderful to hear that it works. But I I also think that we don't, I don't really think about what it's like emotionally to save somebody's life. And there you were with your daughter. And it says in the article that you and Meredith gave this gentleman uh, hands-only CPR for more than 20 minutes before he regained a pulse. And that's a powerful experience. Um, if you could talk about that a little bit, I think um, there's a lot to learn for the rest of us. Yeah, I, I have to say that in my entire medical career, that was probably one of the most meaningful moments I ever had. And, you know, it was actually Meredith who initiated this. We were standing at, on the 16th hole um, at the golf course, and there was a large grandstand behind us. And we heard someone yell, you know, we need medical now. And Meredith and I just looked at each other and, and uh, then with a little more urgency, they said, we need medical now. And she said, dad, we got to go. So we ran ran up into the grandstand and found uh, David in a full cardiac arrest. And so uh, we sent somebody to get the AD and actually to notify the uh, emerging medical system and um, recognize that in full cardiac arrest, the, full, the first thing you need to do is to just do chest compressions. Okay. So we alternated doing chest compressions. And there were also, there's a re- retired nurse and a firefighter who were also in the stands who also did compressions as well until the paramedics were able to get there with their defibrillator and actually he needed to be defibrillated and that's what put him back into a regular heart rhythm. But I mean, wow. the, the kind of the take home message from that is we didn't do anything that anybody else couldn't do. We just started. We just yeah. went up there and decided that he was, he needed this assistance and then we did it. And we just did chest compression only CPR, which is, bystander CPR. It's what anybody who's done basic life support can do. And so it's, we didn't do anything different or unusual. We just stepped in and and did it. Kind of the most meaningful thing about it was, you know, Meredith had just graduated from medical school. She hadn't even really started her residency yet. And, um, you know, the first time that she saved a life, we did it together. Wow. um, That's something that, you know, that we'll have to share for the rest of our lives. Yeah. It, w- it was pretty amazing. Well, it's 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 really um, powerful to hear that story. And um, I can only imagine how grateful this man is uh, whose life you saved. And, you know, there's this hashtag that has been going around during this time of quarantine, hashtag alone together. And I think it speaks to 
some of what you've been talking about in this half hour and also your experience with Meredith helping this gentleman whose heart had stopped beating, and that is taking the initiative and doing what's right. And it wasn't complicated, but it required courage. Can you... Uh, one more, one yeah, more please. thing that came out of that experience that was also really neat was that the Beeler family started a charity golf tournament and the recipient of the funds from the tournament was North Star Reach. Oh, wow. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, that's really, so, wow. That was really, really cool as well. That's wonderful. That's a, what a wonderful way to show their gratitude. Um, so as I've mentioned, uh, you have grown kids of your own, Charlie and Meredith, um, both of whom attended camp. Can you offer some wisdom or comfort uh, just as closing words to the kids uh, who are listening to this podcast? Well, I think the word that I would want to say is thank you, is um, thank you for for staying at home. Yeah. Because, you know, by you social distancing, by you wearing a mask, you know, by, by you staying at home and, and sadly by you missing camp this summer, you're going to help other people stay healthy. And, and that's a really important thing. And that's a really a meaningful thing. And, you know, we are, as it says, we are all in this together. And, you know, it's, it's hard for, for you to miss camp, but just remember that, that you're also, you're making other people safer by doing this. And so thank you. Well, those are, really excellent closing words i think for you know for kids who are so disappointed that they won't be able to enjoy on-site camp um surely they'll see some of their friends and their staff online at some point but we're all so devastated by the cancellation of on-site sessions but i would certainly join you uh skip and saying thank you to everyone to the directors who made these agonizing decisions to the parents who are supporting their kids in this time of grief to the kids themselves who are staying at home they all deserve a huge thank you and and they could be saving people's lives by being at home and that sort of unselfishness is something that every camp teaches in some form or another to look after others before we look after ourselves. And Skip, I wanted to say thank you to you, not only for your friendship and mentorship, but also most recently your service with the Navy and being a provider at the Javits Center in New York City for people who were positive for coronavirus. I'm sure you saved a lot of lives there with with the other healthcare providers and again, setting a wonderful example for other people to follow, to take necessary precautions, to look after others before you look after yourself. And so I hope that while you're in quarantine awaiting your return to your family, that at least some of those thoughts help you feel better. And I'm really grateful for your time today. I just have to you know, say that it's been a privilege to serve, but, you know, camp taught me is that's the best way to have a meaningful life is through service. So I do this because of what I learned at camp. Thank you very much for your time and 
I hope you'll come back to the podcast. Be well, and thanks again for your service, Skip. Thanks, Chris. It's been great. You've been listening to Coffee with Chris with me, Dr. Chris Thurber. You can listen to more terrific podcasts and learn about the work I do with schools and camps by visiting my websites, drchristhurber.com, prepforschool.com, and prepforcamp.com. Thanks for listening.